0: a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow
1: investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, November 15th, 2023 edition, and Looking at the calendar, we are just one basically one week away from Thanksgiving, or tomorrow it'll be one week. And I'm Justin Klein, and I am here today to be help you become a better investor. And I'm joined once again by Luke Guerrero. Thanks for being here, Luke.
2: Thanks for having me, Justin.
1: Yeah. So today is about you, our listeners, and it's about giving you actionable material and giving you perspective about all the headlines that you see, all the data that you are constantly intaking, and some of it is useful, and some of it is just simply attention-provoking, and our job is to help you distill exactly what you're seeing on your screens into what matters for you in your investment journey. Now, we're going to look at the market performance today. We're going to run down some show topics. But as usual, we're going to get right to our first caller question now. Hey, Stephen Justin. It's Steven and Lubbock. Had a
3: question on Encore Capital Group, ECPG. Uh, just curious what you guys have to say. Thanks a lot. Bye.
1: All right. This is Encore Capital Group. Small cap at a billion-dollar market cap. And they purchased receivables, unsecured consumer credit receivables. Uh, basically, they're a debt collector. Now, historically, they've been very profitable, good cash flows, and they did very well during the pandemic because it seems odd, but what happened was everyone had money. And so they were able to collect on a lot of the debts that they were purchasing from the banks. And that's what they're doing. They're buying from the banks and they are are trying to uh, collect on it. So this is certainly a risky name, but if you're going into a slowing economy, that a time that it typically does well. So <clears throat> we like uh, this name. Um, it's technicals, obviously, have recently improved, hit major support, right around, around $37 per share. Um, they have debt, but that's kind of their business, right? <laughs> it's kind of their business. Um, so uh, I think Oncar Capital Group, if you're looking for a smaller cap name, in the debt collecting space there aren't a lot of them right there aren't a lot of them uh, but historically the return and uh, uh, turn on equities is around 20 percent, which is is very healthy so uh i'm giving encore capital group a thumbs up anything on your end luke
2: no nothing to add here
1: okay all right well we're going to cover a lot over the next 40 minutes our main focus point looks at the story behind this headline the case for why inflation might decline without a recession So we're going to talk about the current inflation rates, how the GDP growth for 2024 will feed into that inflation number. And then if there are any deflationary trends that are emerging out of a very inflationary period. So, you know, you know, we've been talking about secular inflation, but there can be cyclical deflationary forces. And that's what we're we're feeling right now. And the question will be is how long will that last? All right. Where are we? That's our main focus point. But we're also going to touch on a few other topics. One is in regards to Microsoft. And they announced today their own AI chips. And really, they're trying to bring down the cost of AI, which is kind of under-discussed. Also, Netflix is taking a a swing at the sports industry and how that might ramp up the competitive nature within the streaming wars. And then lastly, we're going to look at the US economy, retail sales and the monthly producer prices that came out today, which we've talked about the CPI is what everyone talks about, but PPI is a leading indicator and a leading into what the CPI will be probably 3 months down the line. So That's what we're going to touch on today. We also have some voice bank questions on Crescendo and eBay, as well as, yeah, I guess those are the main two. Now, let's talk about the market performance today. Luke, it was overall kind of a pause day, right? We had a big surge higher yesterday on that lower than expected CPI number. We also had lower than expected PPI numbers, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but that, uh, that didn't really spark the market in the same way, right? So we really had more of a, a general pause, but small update overall, correct?
2: Yeah, that's correct. The S&P 500 was up 16 basis points, as was the Russell 2000. I think one of the primary narratives of today was relative to retail sales, which declined 10 basis points month over month, which was better than the expected uh, declining of of 30 basis points. So, And also there was an upward revision of September's numbers as well. So I think the concern with the CPI figure yesterday was our prices uh, not increasing as much because consumers don't have money to spend. There's there's less demand. But the retail sales figure kind of helped out that narrative that maybe the Uh, Although prices are declining or rather prices are are not growing as quickly as they were before, it doesn't necessarily mean that the consumer is hurting.
1: Yeah, I, I think the inflation data that you're seeing is giving the Fed more reason to pause, even though they their rhetoric is hawkish. And even even after the jobs report at the beginning of this month was weaker than expected. The Fed or Jerome Powell still came out the week later and said, hey, you know, there you're going to um, we're we're probably more likely to raise rates than cut rates. Right. So there's definitely a big difference there um, in the the tenor of what the market is expecting and what the Fed is saying. Um, And so to your point about retail sales, retail sales. Remain strong, but that's not really the what the market is focused on. It's more focused, I think, on that inflation figure. All right, we're going to a quick break. Please remember you can call any time and leave a question on the investdoc voice bank, or if you're listening to the live stream, you can call now at eight 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 ninety-nine chart.
4: Justin Klein talks about the KPP financial premium newsletter. I want to remind you that this is a time where you probably
1: need some guidance and you're tuning in to try to get our view of the markets. And we only have an hour here. And and sometimes the way I distill each day can be maybe not enough, maybe not enough time. And so our premium newsletter is a great tool for especially newer investors trying to learn some things.
4: The KPP Financial Premium Newsletter Comes to your mailbox every Saturday.
1: Learn how to analyze the market, learn what the economic numbers mean, learn how to manage a portfolio, maybe get an idea of what are good companies to be at least looking at. Maybe you don't buy it today, but you should always have a watch list of companies that, hey, these are interesting, these have good businesses. And if they get the right price, maybe I should buy them. So our newsletter is a great tool for that.
4: Subscribe anytime at investtalk.com. the stock market is volatile. It's constantly changing. So how are you positioned? Is your portfolio properly balanced? Or are you taking unnecessary risks? You can get guidance anytime for free if you go to investtalk.com and take the brief risk Riskalyze quiz.
5: Hi, my name is Thomas. I'm calling from Santa Cruz, California. have been listening to the show for the last three or four years and really Love what you guys do on the show. I'm calling asking about eBay. I think that eBay has a, I mean, great position in terms of online markets. In terms of their market share compared to Amazon, they are significantly smaller. Also, I see used items being in high demand moving forward. What is a good price to be openly investing into eBay moving forward? I have an eye at about a $35 price point with going more aggressively if it gets under 30. Tell me what you think. I'll be listening.
1: All right. I don't think I need to tell everybody what eBay does, but it is a name that has come down pretty dramatically from its highs just a couple of years ago. Let's see. Let me pull up a chart. Yeah. What peaked out at about $80 per share in the fourth quarter of 2021. And then, has now down to about forty dollars per share, so it's down about fifty percent. Earnings, though, have not really declined much. Luke, it's uh, more the growth is has kind of flattened out. So, is this cheap enough, though? I think is the real question with such slow growth.
2: Yeah, relative to where it's been, I mean, its price to book is around three, which for a name like this is is pretty low. Its price to earnings is down to eight. It's average over the past five years is 26. I don't know if it's quite uh, cheap enough, but it certainly seems to be moving in the right direction. Because like you said, eBay is obviously a very well-known name. Everyone knows what eBay does. Everyone knows eBay's business. Um, And it still does have a large share in that online auctioning. So Mm -hmm. uh, from everything I'm seeing, I don't see anything negative. I I see improvement towards more of a realistic multiple that this is trading at.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I, I this is more interesting to me than say an Amazon, uh, because I, I think there's a niche here that eBay clearly dominates. It's if you have used goods of any kind, uh you can go and find them on eBay. Uh, I know in the broadcast world there are we actually have uh our our, our main receiver Uh, that we, that we run the audio through is actually a used one. And why is because it was made number of years ago and they discontinued it, but it's still very, very, it's, it's the best kind of made for this particular use. And so we actually found it on eBay in good condition and bought it that way. And so there's a lot of a lot of things like that, especially in the B2B world, where you want something that is discontinued, no longer made, um, and you can find it oftentimes on there. And you can even buy uh, new, new stuff on there. So uh, I, I like that there's not a lot of players kind of coming for their market share. Obviously, like a Walmart is coming after Amazon, and they may have the tools over time to potentially uh, rival them. Uh, whereas I don't feel like anyone's really coming after eBay. So I like that. And the valuation is pretty low. Enterprise value to we are only at about five times. That's pretty much the lowest it's, it's ever been. So I, and it pays a nice solid dividend. It certainly can pay that dividend. Free cash flow yield is over 10%. Um, so from a deep value play and a solid name, I like eBay. All right, every now and then, it's fun to play two in a row. So let's do that right now at 888
3: chart Hi, Stephen Justin. It's Art from Tucson calling in about a mid-cap company in the building products space called Owens Corning Fiber. OC is the ticker symbol. It's pulled back recently, and I've been looking for an entry point. It's slowed down with the rest of the the housing market and the housing stocks. I'm wondering if it's a buy here. It usually beats earnings, and even though the uh, future earnings are projected to be a little lower than they currently are, I wonder if it's not a good time to buy since like you were saying a few weeks ago, should be an uptick in apartment buildings coming onto the market and also onshoring of development and factories and so forth in the United States. Just wondering what you think and where a good buy point would be. Thanks. I'll listen on the podcast.
1: Well, to your last point, that would actually be a reason why they'd be building a slowdown because there is <clears throat> there is a lot of Multi-family apartments coming on market over the next couple of years. It's likely going to slow. You're already seeing that in the uh, the building permits and and new starts within that space. But your first point is is better. is saying, hey, there are a lot of there's a lot of manufacturers. There's a lot of manufacturing facilities being built. And whether you're building homes or uh, 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 some tar- some type of uh, industrial building, you're going to need similar products and Owens Corning makes fiberglass utilizing composites and building materials and their earnings have been on the rise but they've started to flatten out Luke Uh, but the stock continues to rise so I think the big question here is will there be a reversion to the mean of roughly four or five dollars per share in earnings like they did pre-COVID now expected this year, is supposed to make $14 per share, despite the fact that revenue growth over the past three quarters has been slightly negative, I emphasize uh, slightly. So the technicals look good. Is it cheap enough yet?
2: From a multiple perspective, its price to book is 2.3. That's pretty in line with its average. I think it's difficult to look at this company's five-year trends in something like free cash flow from operations or... Or EBITDA or anything like that, just because so much of it is going to be artificially higher because of the pandemic. But from where it's trading relative to its peers, it seems reasonable to me. I I like this company. It has pretty low debt. It can certainly service it. It's EBITDA interest expenses 20 times. Um, Mm -hmm. Everything looks good. It has good margins.
1: Yeah, I I would agree. I I, I like this name. The payout ratio for its dividend is very low. So I know it's uh, only a 1.6% dividend yield, but I'd much rather have this name that has the ability to raise that dividend with a good balance sheet than something that's yielding a, a lot higher. So, giving Owens Corning a thumbs up. All right, moving fast through this Wednesday, and we are here to answer your finance and investment questions. So, get them in now at 888.99 Chart.
3: One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors. And I know that every question counts, and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart.
1: Now, our focus point today looks at the headline The Case for Why Inflation Might Decline Without a Recession. <coughs> and the CPI data yesterday, as well as the PPI data today, producer price index, tell us a lot about the current inflation rate and potential deflationary trends, which I think it's pretty clear to say or easy to say, Luke, that uh, we're seeing that uh, in various parts of the broader economy. Uh, And if we do have a recession next year, which is, I would say, somewhat likely, likely, that probably means inflation will continue to come down. Now, my main question, I'm going to skip to the end kind of uh, and go, go first, is what is a soft landing? Right? Because that's really what the Fed and everyone's talking about is saying, hey, inflation is going to come down without a recession. you think that's true? And what is a soft landing?
2: Yeah, I think it's possible. I think when people talk about a soft landing, they think about previous recessions where you had unemployment spikes uh, or you had some sort of systematic wide event, credit event that brought down asset prices in a, in a large way. I think that's entirely possible and that seems to be for a lot of people the base case now. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that something that I've been saying for a while is I agree that inflation was transitory. It's just they got the time frame wrong. Because a lot yeah. of it was caused by these exogenous shocks. If you look at where inflation was from, from the year 2000 up until 2020, it was it was below 2%. It, mm-hmm. was, it was probably an average of around 1.3%. And that's not sustainable given the massive expansion that was happening in the economy, especially given how wages were increasing. And now what you're seeing with this push-pull relationship of wages and prices is wages are, are accelerating at, what, 5%? whereas inflation is down to 3.2% around there. So I think it's entirely possible for a soft landing. I think that a lot of the exogenous factors that created this inflationary environment are winding down. Businesses are able to shore up supply chains and, and some of the strains on the producer side of costs are, are going down or remaining flat. So I think for me, I tend to agree that the the base case may be a soft landing now.
1: Yeah, and, and I, I think any economic slowdown, even the one we're having right now, which is still you know, growth, the labor market softens to a degree, right? We're talking about unemployment going from, we're at 3.3, 3.4 at its bottom, now up to 3.9. So it's softening, but no one would say that the economy is terrible. And, you know, is the unemployment rate going to four and a half and you having, you know, two consecutive quarters of maybe somewhere in the 1% 1% decline in real, real GDP, which would technically be a recession. Is that a soft landing? Because you know, I, I think so many people think of 08 and, and they think that's a recession, but in reality, that's a financial crisis. So would a mild recession like an 01, 02 type of recession, would that be considered a soft landing? And I, the funny thing is I never heard of the soft landing term until the last couple of years. No one really used that term. So, what define just like what defines a recession? What defines a soft landing?
2: Yeah, I think I think the key there is is how people feel it, right? So, when you talk about your technical definition of a recession, and this is something we talked about on our last webinar, you can have negative GDP growth for two consecutive quarters and not have it be a recession. Why is that? That's because you don't see that huge pullback in the labor market. You don't see a large amount of unemployment. You don't see a blowout of asset prices. So even if in the next year, or GDP does become negative, just because how you measure GDP, right? When you talk about earlier, uh, last year, I believe, when, when real GDP was negative, but inflation was around 6%, well, that meant the GDP was still upwards of 5%. It was just barely negative. So I think there's a lot of factors going on. And, and at the end of the day, there's just a council of economic advisors that decide what a recession is, but it's more about yeah. what people feel. And so yeah. it's possible with this soft landing <laughs> scenario that people don't feel the pain that they typically feel in deep yeah, recessions.
1: So, so basically, I think it comes down to a soft landing is there's pockets of weakness, but it's not widespread and systemic. It's not every industry is feeling the pain. Obviously, right now, you have pockets of weakness, right? The housing industry in general is is weak, especially when it comes to sales. That's certainly a pocket of weakness. Um, and you're having subsectors of commercial real estate with major pockets of weakness. You're even seeing EV market, right? EV market, uh, you, you're seeing pockets of weakness in there and the, the auto market while other parts of the auto market continue to do well. Um, And that's what's so interesting about this environment is that there are many factors that are likely to continue to decelerate, Uh, meaning there's still inflation, but it's not as drastic as it was over the past couple of years. One is likely to be durables, consumer durables. Uh, And uh, the semiconductor market in general is likely to flip from a shortage of supply to a glut over the next few years as there's a normalization of spending uh, patterns. Food and energy, you had disruption with the Ukraine war. I think that's going to be kind of wait and see, as well as housing inflation. uh, And you see this with the CPI. It's owner's equivalent rent, which is very lagging because it looks at rents that were signed 11 months ago. That are still in place. And so that kind of rolls off. And so, you know, the supply chain is healing. That's another thing. So more, it's becoming cheaper to move goods again. Uh, and, and I think that's another uh, factor that's going to bring down inflation into the middle part of next year. But you still are in this kind of secular, long-term inflationary environment uh, that likely will perk its head back up in 2025. All right, we're heading into a break. I'm ready to take your calls now at 888 chart Stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at hackerone.com. That's H A C K E R O N E.com. HackerOne.com.
4: Justin Klein is here and ready to take your calls live. Invest Talk. Eight 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 ninety nine chart.
1: Now, in the next Invest Talk, we will look into the story set up by this question. What are the rules for cashing out your IRA? And as you age, the rules for withdrawing money from your IRA change. That story tomorrow, but for now, let's pivot to the Invest Talk Voice Bank at eight 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 ninety nine chart.
5: Hi, Stephen Justin. This is Nick from Texas. I was calling about a stock crescendo. The ticker is CX. D O it's a cloud communication stock and it was hit pretty hard with the industry uh, during COVID. And I feel like it kind of unfairly got grouped in with some of those stocks like ring central and eight by eight. I really like the stock and they just had some really great Q3 earnings and I've been waiting for some momentum to uh, buy back into the stock. I had a position early on already. Yeah, I just wanted to see your thoughts. If you thought maybe this is a good time to buy or if you're seeing anything I'm not seeing, thank you. Love the show.
1: All right, Crescendo. Pretty interesting spelling. C-X-D-O is the symbol and it's spelled C-R-E-X-E-N-D-O. Pretty cute, cute I think, Luke. Uh, a Very small cap name, $61 million market cap. I guess you would call that micro cap, right?
2: It's almost as micro as you can get.
1: Yeah. So you're talking about revenues last quarter of simply less than $14 I have friends that have businesses that do much more than this. (laughs) Um, But they're certainly growing. 52% revenue growth last last quarter. Earnings beat expectations dramatically of 300% year over year. What's interesting, look, it paid the dividend already. So cloud computing name that's extremely small – Pays a dividend, kind of odd, but the technicals are improving. I, I mean, I'm starting to like it just because I like the technicals and pays a dividend has no pretty much no debt in its balance sheet. Growth is good, beating earnings. What's not to like here, Luke?
2: Yeah, uh, I mean, <laughs> generally speaking, I don't like a name this small in this type of environment kind of interesting to me that a micro cap like this is paying a dividend that also hints to me that maybe they don't have positive NPV projects to invest it that money in uh, for growth uh, it looks like their net margins are improving but not not great uh, the next 12 months are supposed to be better than the last 12 months but still I think you have to think of the macro environment of what we have going on and it's not advantageous for small cap companies that are trying to grow in my opinion
1: yeah, that's certainly true. And historically, their profitability is, leaves a lot to be desired. They had been a serial issue of shares. I wonder when they started paying that dividend. Because it's interesting, they're paying it. They pay, they've been paying it for a while now. Wow. All the way back to 2007? That's interesting. There's a big gap here. Okay, 2012, they just started paying it. Half a cent per share. So not a lot. Um, you know, I, it's very high risk. I like the growth. I like that it just beat earning. I like the technicals, even though it's probably overbought near term. <clears throat> I would like them to stop issuing more shares. That would be nice. That'd make me feel a lot more comfortable here. Uh, one big thing I like, though, is very little debt. Only a million dollars in long-term debt. So if you want to take a, you know, big swing... Or let's say a small swing on a, a big potential upside, this would be the type of name I, I would rather buy in this environment. Much better than a lot of the stocks that are trading for $2 and change per share that's trading at $244 um, that are burning capital and, and uh, have a ton of debt in their balance sheet, et cetera. This is not a name that has that issue. Um, so, if, as long as you are comfortable with the high, 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 high risk, I don't mind it. All right, <clears throat> let's talk a little bit about. Microsoft. Big announcement today, Luke. They're coming out with their own custom-designed chips to support their AI services, cloud AI services. And their main goal here is to lower the overall cost of running AI systems, which I think is under-discussed.
2: Yeah, I so, would agree. I think I think you- that, that most people, when they see a company like Apple trying to come up with chips for their phones. They're trying to shore up their supply chains and, and displace the companies they've been typically using. But, I mean, this by no means is them trying to take out NVIDIA or AMD, right? This is just trying to kind of shore up the cost of their cloud services.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I actually think there's under under-radar the tidbit of this news that nobody's really talking about and that is the fact that they said they're actually testing their chat gpt service on amd chips so i think that supposed stronghold that nvidia has on the ai space is this an indicator that hey the other players are are, are trying to get around their high cost Uh, the high cost of of NVIDIA chips and find other solutions like AMD's uh, uh, chips. Uh, I think that was underreported here.
2: No, I do agree. I think from a managerial perspective, it would be irresponsible not to try and reduce costs wherever you possibly can. And as you said, NVIDIA has had a stranglehold on those chips for so long that moving towards a competitor or attempting to test on a competitor could be a way to decrease your costs overall.
1: Yeah, and, and... you know, Microsoft did didn't give a lot of technical details on this. Uh, it just kind of talking about how they're tr- trying to build out their AI capabilities in an efficient way, and I think that's underappreciated in <coughs> in, in this move towards AI. And it's really all about how can how, how will it how will the cost structures evolve, and is still trying to work on this and figure out exactly uh, what is the most efficient, effective way to deploy these AI tools. And there's a lot to be worked out. And over time, there's going to be companies that may seem to have good business models today, but can easily be out-competed or um, you know, others, others can find better, more efficient ways to do it. And that's that's what this goal is for Microsoft. And in the tech space, this is constant. So many people think that tech companies cannot be usurped, but they can. They can easily—I don't say easily—but it's it's a very competitive space, and those that are on top one day can easily be uh, on the bottom in just a handful of months. I always point back to BlackBerry and the iPhone. Right, BlackBerry was on top of the world, and within just a matter of you know a couple of years, they were you know near bankruptcy. So uh, make sure that. You watch this, these developments because there's going to be a lot of jockeying for position as the AI industry develops. <clears throat> All right. now right. We're heading into the fourth quarter. The year is moving fast, and Thanksgiving is just about a week away. And that means you probably need to reassess your position in the markets in these different and difficult times. And you need to adjust your strategies to fit these times. So I encourage you to reach out to myself or Steve at our company, KAPP Financial, where we practice the same philosophy, operate the same philosophy as we do on-air, as we do off-air, which is independent thinking and shared success. We also practice parallel investing, which means we invest right alongside our clients. So I encourage you to take advantage of our free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go to meetings and send us a message through investtalk.com or give our office a call in Irvine, California, 800 557 5461. The sooner you reach out, the sooner we can help you get your portfolio optimized. This is Invest Talk now with more than 56.8 million downloads since it all began, thanks to you. Now let's grab another caller question now. Hey,
5: Stephen, Justin, this is Jake from Northern California. I was calling to get your guys' thoughts on the Global X Copper Miners ETF, COPX. I'm looking to add this to my 403B for a long-term hold. I'm just looking at some of the top holdings. It does seem like there are some foreign stocks that I cannot get uh, much information on, so I just want to see what your guys' thoughts are. Um, It does look like it's near a 52-week low, so if you could just let me know what you think. And if you have time, you could also let me know what you guys' thoughts are on the silver miners ETF. This would be adding to my 403B again. Right now, my precious metal exposure is about 5%, and that's mainly to uh, GDX.
1: All right. Thank you. Bye. Well, to the latter part, if your precious metals exposure is only 5%, I don't mind that going up to, say, 10%. And silver miners are a good way to diversify uh, into that space. So I think I'm fine with that. Now, COPX is the Global X Copper Miners ETF. This is a subsector of a sector ETF, right? You're just looking at the names that produce copper. BHP Group is the top holdings, uh Southern Copper, that's about fifth on the list here. It's about 39 different names and like you said, there's a lot of foreign exposure. In fact, 90, nearly 91% of this fund is in non-US stocks. So in a lot of ways, look, this is a play on the US dollar since you are investing in so many foreign names.
2: Yeah, that's true. One thing that interests me is uh, the way they rank the companies is actually based on daily trading volume. Mm -hmm. So they take a a three-month average of daily trading volume and only the highest ranked ones are included.
1: Okay. So very liquid. Uh, It's Had a recent surge because the dollar has rolled over. Copper has held up fairly well, especially considering the decline in usage in China because they're not building nearly as many buildings because they have kind of an oversupply. Um, We've talked many times about how copper, if you're trying to play the green revolution, copper is one of the best metals you can invest in uh, because of the increasing demand for just electrical infrastructure, as well as the amount of copper that goes into EVs, for example. And then on top of that, the to build a new copper mine takes many years of, of CapEx and, and development. Uh, and so it's not easy for new supply to come online, which means that when prices do rise, the existing copper producers can extract high margins for an extended period until New supply does come on, so uh, I think copper is a good way to, to to play the probably one of the best ways in my mind to play the EV revolution, shall we say, uh, or increase adoption and the green revolution in general. So uh, I I like this. If you are unwilling to do the deeper dive on individual positions. Obviously, we'd rather buy the best copper miners that are out there in the world that are the best run. Um, but if you can't do that, you just want to buy a broad-based ETF, this is a good way to do it. <clears throat> All right, let's go to Peter in San Jose. He wants to talk about portfolio management.
4: Hi, uh, hi Justin. Hi, Steve. Uh, thanks for taking my call. I'm a long-time listener uh, through uh, AM 1220. Uh, I have a... Uh, my question for uh, you folks today is I have a a concentrated, uh, position of oh. my, uh, company stock. Um, mm. I, um, I haven't realized the gains. I have, uh, a significant amount of gains and, um, I'm just curious on what would you do if you were in my position? Uh, I, I know many people, uh, many financial advisors say to r- realize the gains and then other financial advisors mentioned, um, uh, char- charitable trusts uh, to delay the taxes. Uh, just wanted to hear your uh, thoughts and inputs uh, on this. Uh, thank you very much.
1: Well, to give you more specifics, I need to understand your full picture. You know, what percentage of your total assets are in this one individual company? What company is it? Right? Is it? one that is having maybe structural issues, maybe it has a lot of debt in its balance sheet, uh, et cetera, uh, I, that would be a worry. Um, or is it some, you know, large tech name that's probably at least going to hang in there and, and, and isn't in the verge of bankruptcy anytime soon? You know, those would be definitely questions that are important. But in general, you probably want to keep your exposure to one particular name to uh, about 10% of your overall uh, uh, portfolio. <laughs> and you have a lot of sounds like long-term capital gains that you would pay if you sold a lot of it. So what you probably want to do is work with a CPA to try to sell that off over time. Now, if it's a, if it's a dramatic position, you're talking three, four, $5 million plus, then you could start to look at a charitable remainder trust or, um, you know, DST or something that can defer those taxes. But remember those are, typically high startup costs, meaning you have to pay a lawyer, they're expensive, and that can be an issue. Um, So, you know, it can be an issue if you don't have a lot of money um, in there, you know, millions of dollars. So usually for most clients, we say, get with your CPA, plan this out over time, try to do it advantageously. When the stock's doing well, you want to sell into that rally as opposed to try to dump it when uh, things aren't aren't, aren't doing very well and you panic out of it. So um, those are kind of my general thoughts. you have anything to add, Luke?
2: Yeah, I think often people concentrate positions in stock they've been awarded and they don't realize that they have a twofold risk there and that their normal income stream is coming from that employer and also they have stock exposure to that employer so you take on a lot more risk with that single company uh, than you realize so if you can in a a tax efficient way again with with a cpa or or an investment professional figure out a way to diversify away that risk that's always going to be beneficial
1: yeah that's underappreciated is that Not only are you tying your retirement future to this one company, but in the meantime, your income is also tied to the success of this business. And for most people, as you continue to work there, you're also going to get more in the future. So you're kind of you kind of have a call option uh, in the future on those uh, on that particular company as well. So it adds to your to your risk overall. So. It it, it can be challenging, but if you want to set up a portfolio review, head over to our website, schedule a call with me. I can go over the details and help figure out exactly the direction you should head. All right. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein with Luke Guerrero, and we have one goal each and every weekday, and that's to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at at 888 99
4: Justin Klein and Steve Beasley are ready to take on your finance and investment questions. Call Invest Talk eight 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 ninety nine chart.
3: Hi, this is Dave from New Hampshire. I'm calling about a mutual fund, and the ticker symbol is P F O R X. It's an international bond fund, and I'm wondering what you thought of that uh, as a, an overall investment and how our current and uh, future, near-term future environment in the markets might affect that. I was insurance sure it was bonds. If you could uh, comment on that, I'd appreciate it, and I really like your show. Thanks. Bye.
1: Are looking at the PIMCO International Bond U.S. Dollar Hedged Institutional Mutual Fund. And when it says institu- U.S. Dollar Hedged, meaning that the fund is investing probably mainly in international funds, international bonds, excuse me, that are paying in some sort of foreign currency and they're hedging out the risk there. Uh, And I think the question is, are you, you're, you're hedging out the risk of the decline in the dollar. Is that what it's doing? Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. Uh, In fact, the duration is 6.1. So It's somewhat long, longer duration, longer than I would like. The average credit quality is double A minus. So you're talking about high quality credits uh, that that have super high ratings. So you're not dipping down into emerging market junk. Uh, And that's probably why you are getting a performance that is not that exciting. Luke, are you seeing anything enticing about this name in particular?
2: Well, I think generally speaking, it's a it's a, a risk story, right? So if you are trying to maintain capital, get a slight return, lower yields because it's investment in, in investment grade bonds. This is a good way to do it. Obviously, PIMCO uh, made its money managing bonds. It's one of the best, most well known bond managers there are. The management fees, fifty basis points. It's not too expensive. Um, but other than that, I mean, I'm just seeing a, an investment grade bond fund that gives you some international exposure.
1: And I think one of his comments was about how our debt situation here in the U.S. is pretty bad. And that's certainly true. But this is invested in other developed nations that in many instances have similar debt problems. I right? think of Japan. Uh, has a lot of issues. They have a a lot of assets around the world, so that helps them kind of deal with uh, their indebtedness. But, you know, there's European uh, bonds here. They have their issues, especially with economic growth. So I don't think that if you're trying to escape the U.S. Treasury market, for example, I don't think this is a good way to go. Um, I would find another bond fund, especially with lower duration. I don't like that long duration nature. All right, let's pivot over to Netflix. And what's interesting here is that Netflix is kind of tipping it, dipping its toe in the sports world. They developed their own kind of unique golf event called the Netflix Cup. And it combined professional golfers with Formula One racing drivers. And what they're trying to do is drum up more support and, and interest and promote what is called Full Swing, and Drive to Survive, which are docu-series on golfing and racing in particular. Now, Luke, the hey. NBA has their rights coming up soon. Do you think they're going to jump into the major sports world, or are they going to stick with the periphery?
2: Well, it was interesting to me because when I first saw this story, I thought to myself, okay, Netflix is following Hulu. We've all seen that commercial. Hulu has live sports. It's the most annoying tagline I think I've ever seen on television. But... The interesting part of this to me is Netflix is trying to create their own sporting events so that they can keep a majority of the revenue, right? So the NFL, for example, sells their TV rights for exorbitant amounts of money. And Mm -hmm. if the people who buy them are able to make a lot of profit on them, then when they come up again, the NFL just wants more of that. Mm -hmm. So Netflix's goal here, at least in this move, is to create an environment where they can control – the future profits of the live sporting events that they're creating, which is, it's an interesting move for me. I will say in the recent past, the PAC 12 tried to do the same thing. They tried to sell their own TV rights and create their own network. And now they're folding. So maybe sports people are the best thing are mm-hmm. the best ones to control sports, but, but who knows?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Cause as of late Amazon, Apple, Google, they've all kind of jumped in the ring for NFL and NBA, NBA rights. Um, and ESPN is trying to slim, or Disney is trying to slim down e- uh, the ESPN network, so uh, they're going to be less of a player. So I think those that are selling their rights are, are hoping that that Netflix jumps in. And what's interesting is, is is more about can they do it, right? Can they actually do live stream events effectively? And recently they try to do a live episode of what's called Love Is Blind, a dating contest, and it was a technical fiasco. So. A lot of this, too, is ramping up for a potential, I think, bid for these big major leagues. All right. I'm Justin Klein with Luke Guerrero, and this completes another InvestTalk program. Steve Peasley, and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and be sure to rate and review on iTunes. And you can check out our new InvestTalk Classroom series, and it is a Q&A with Luke and I from our listeners submitted through Instagram. Independent thinking,
0: shared success. This is invest talk, good night. Invest talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security.